Hello. <laughs> and an hello to you too, Governor. Greetings from the Mirror Zone. My name is Bryce Skidmore. And I'm David Rappelscallion Leskin. You're such a Rappelscallion, bro. TM. <laughs> uh, so this week we're going to be doing uh, on Harlan Ellison again in, in memory of... That's right. Yeah, Harlan Ellison just recently passed away at the age of 84. And um, his output includes more than 1,700 short stories and articles, at least 100 books, and dozens of screenplays and television scripts. Uh, he insisted that he wrote speculative fiction, or just fiction, simply fiction. Call me a science fiction writer, Mr. Ellison said on the Sci-Fi Channel. I'll come to your house and I'll nail your pet's head to a coffee table. I'll hit you so hard your ancestors will die. Well, that's quite a, it's quite a response to being called a science fiction writer. It's especially funny because he's won a bunch of nebulas. Uh, <laughs> so it's just like, uh, I'm not here to accept my award, I guess. Is he just grinding his teeth everyone, every time someone says science <laughs> fiction? And he's like, I'm just here to get an award. It's good for my career. Yeah, probably. He's twiddling his thumbs. He's looking really angry. Uh, that would be my guess, it, from what it sounded like. And we'll get into that a little bit more, because he's definitely a real character. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, aside from the Nebulas, he's also won uh, multiple Hugos and Edgars. Uh, he was particularly known for his screenplay of Star Trek, the original series, which was adapted into a beloved episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. I, I love that episode. It's a really great episode. Um, I think it's considered by a lot of people, especially... Uh, in the industry to be the best episode of Star Trek on oh, the series. I would definitely agree. Peak OG. Yeah. Uh, and both versions of the script won awards. So his original script won the 1968 Writers Guild Award for Best Episodic Drama in Television. And uh, the, script, the shooting script for the episode won the 1968 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Well, that's awesome. That also kind of reminds me of like when we did Paladin the Lost Hour, how like his Twilight Zone episode went up for the Writers Guild Award also. Yeah. For, it's for best anthology. That's just the best one-off episode. Right. And and that's one of the great things about a lot of these uh, writers that we've talked about is, like, they came up with these really great ideas that were then adapted into screenplays or different uh, television movie projects, things like that. Man, there were so many great TV shows to write for back in the in the eighties. I know, and pretty much everyone got a piece of like all you had to do was get on an episode of like the the rebooted Twilight Zone or like Outer Limits right. or something. That's just like the gateway to every other TV show. Was it? It's at one point I think we should do an episode on this, like or like try just do like a mini episode, but just on the episodes of the uh, the rebooted Twilight Zone that were direct or that were written by like George R. R. Martin or other famous writers. Okay, I'm definitely down to do this. Um, stay tuned, future episode. I think that might be fun. <laughs> I think so as well. Well, if you are listening to this and you want to go to one of our social media outlets, feel free to leave us any suggestions. Hell yeah, like us on Facebook, give us a positive review on SoundCloud and iTunes. It super helps us out. Yes. Uh, we'll be eternally grateful. Yeah, we're both on Twitter and uh, Instagram too, so I'm the Byronic man. And um, I'm at Alfred Packer. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Allow me my shameless plug. <laughs> we gotta do it. Oh, also look at look forward to my book coming out. Yeah, you got you totally gotta plug your book. I yeah I definitely will do that. Okay. Stay tuned. Also, future episode. All right. 
Um, so Ellison, uh, another one of his really well-known stories is I have no mouse, mouth, not, I have no mouse, I have no <laughs> mouth and I must scream. Um, it's about an AI gone crazy and it was adapted into a video game that he co-authored the expanded storyline of and wrote a lot of the game's dialogue on a mechanical typewriter, <laughs> which is pretty great. Uh, Damn. I know, right? That's got to be in his claw, like a clause in his contract somewhere. It's like it's it's gonna be on a mechanical typewriter. No, and I'm I'm sure that there were some nerds on that game where like people are just really into sci- or speculative fiction. Yeah. And knew enough not to bring that up to Harlan Ellison, but then also had to like keep a straight face as he like came up in your office with like a stack full of typewritten pages, and it's like <laughs> here's for your video game. Yeah. I, you, some of the stories are pretty great. Like, if you want to check out, if you Google Harlan Ellison and interview and uh, I Have No Mouth and I Miss Scream, there's a great section all about how uh, he and a writer for Babylon 5 wrote this video game together and uh, how there are some really great stories about how Harlan <laughs> liked to, like, distract other people who were supposed to force him to do work. So he asked... Uh, this writer who his favorite graphic novel writer was and he said Neil Gaiman and so he was able to get Neil Gaiman on the phone and Ah. say this dude wants to talk to you and he would do this to prevent them from having to do any work (laughs) (laughs) which like that is the best distraction tactic ever you gotta admit it really is yeah and like on top of all that the nerdiness of the Babylon 5 and him writing on the typewriter uh, he also provided the voice of the AI in the game as well I love that. Like, it's sort of that, like, I've seen it in, like, uh, like, Pierre Paolo Pasolini movies where it's, like, or, like, like Hitchcock movies where, like, the director will just, like, show up as someone within the universe who is also sort of crafting the universe. Right. It's like Stanley cameos, but, like... So this, in particular, if you check out some of the YouTube, uh, we were both talking about the Let's Play of this game. But Harlan Ellison's voice screaming out things like, You must sacrifice a villager to me! <laughs> is pretty amazing. Uh, he definitely had a good job when it, uh, for what he gave himself to do on that. Um, and I mean, it's, it's not the only adaptation either. Uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream has also been adapted as a BBC radio show, which you can check out online as well. I love BBC radio shows. Right, like, side note, um, BBC radio shows are amazing. And specifically, their adaptations of works like, for me, top of the pile is uh, any of Douglas Adams' uh, adapted stuff yeah. for their radio shows. Hitchhiker's Guide stuff. What was it? I've even listened to the, some of the Dirk. They've done Dirk Gently's, right? They definitely have. Yes. Yeah. And there's really good recordings. Um, they're currently doing. I don't know if you've seen Red Dwarf at all, the British BBC show. I've not. It's a sci-fi show that's very similar to John Carpenter's Dark Star. Um, it's this sort of idea of a mining company going out into space, you know, like the old setup for a ton of sci-fi things. Hmm. But uh, the character ends up going into deep freeze and being the last human being alive, and also he's an idiot. <laughs> so these writers are now doing a current BBC radio show. They did of that as well, by the way, um, that's going on on BBC. I can't remember the name of it, but it's uh, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor are the two people so if you google them in bbc radio and any of the other projects we talked about those are all really high recommendations nice yeah um just as a last thing uh you may have seen a boy and his dog the film that was adapted from uh his short story 
about a telepathic dog and a boy's fight for survival in an apocalyptic future? Sold. Yeah, right? Like, I'm just seeing Philip J. Fry shut up and take my money. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those. Um, so, I mean, that's some of his output, uh, just in terms of background. Uh, he was born May 27th, 1934, to a Jewish family in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, he would often run away from home and have a wide range of jobs, including tuna fishermen off the coast of Galveston, itinerant crop picker down in New Orleans, hired gun for a wealthy neurotic nitroglycerin truck driver in North Carolina. <laughs> uh, there may have been a comma before that nitroglycerin truck driver. Uh, so, hired gun for a wealthy neurotic, comma, nitroglycerin truck driver in North Carolina. Yeah. Doesn't make it any less awesome. No, it does not. And it's like, straight up, this is like reminding me of just like... Like, who who else's life is this? Like, right? It, that's how you end up writing science fiction. You just like get so many slices of life that you just literally... You've seen such crazy stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you got a well-rounded experience like this. It's like, I feel like... I feel like he and William S. Burroughs would have gotten along really oh, well. Oh, they definitely would have gotten along. And, like, we should also definitely do an episode linking Burroughs and other science fiction authors as well. That's a separate thing, too. No, it totally. Because it's like, that's a, the weird thing about Burroughs is that he did write a lot of science fiction. He we really talk, did. We just talked about Naked Lunch for some reason. And Yeah, and Naked Lunch is also an episode to do at some point. We should watch oh God. that. The Cronenbergs. Yeah, all the Cronenbergs. Um, let's see... Uh, okay, so this is pretty great. Ellison attended Ohio State University for 18 months from 1951 to 53 before being expelled. He said the expulsion was for hitting a professor who had denigrated his writing ability, and over the next 20 or so years, he sent that professor a copy of every story he ever published. <laughs> That's like, that is dropping mics for years. Just over and over again. I'm out. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't write. I just sold another one. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't write. There you go, bitch. Dude, I'm pretty sure every time that professor got anything from him, he's just kind of flinching a little bit when he opens it. Like, yeah, <laughs> like Ellison's fist is going to come out of the book with some kind of monstrous <laughs> pop-up. Which yeah. actually is funny, because I think that's a story that Ellison would write. It sounds, it, yeah, a killer pop-up book? It definitely <laughs> sounds like Ellison's MO, for sure. Um, any other relevant points. Yeah. So, uh, he served in the U.S. Army from 57 to 59, and he moved to California in 62, where he wrote for many TV shows, including The Outer Limits, The Man from Uncle, and The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, speaking of Hitchcock. Holy shit. Yeah. Connections. Yeah. Um, Ellison was hired as a writer for Walt Disney Studios, but was fired on his first day, after Roy Disney overheard him in the studio commissary joking about making a pornographic animated film featuring Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Yes! <laughs> Which, mm, better movie. <laughs> also, I like. there's a part of me that wonders, I'm like, did you get hired at Disney just to have that be your firing? Uh, it sounds like him, too. Did he's, you... he's, like, got his note cards <laughs> ready. He's just, like, looking in the mirror, and he's practicing. He's just like... Mickey fucking Minnie, Mickey fucking Minnie, get it right. And Roy walks in and he's just, his smile just all the way up his face. I like to think that, like, he had multiple note cards and it was like, <laughs> that was just the one he, that uh, finally got him fired, where he's just like, I'm just gonna run through all the most offensive things I can say at Disney. I'm so excited here at Disney. Here are my ideas. Oh god, no. Oh god, no! It's a trap! <laughs> um, 
Ellison served as a creative consultant on the 1980s version of the Twilight Zone. Past episode of uh, the our Paladin. The episode. Paladin, the Lost Hour. Yeah. Yep. So he might have been involved in that. We'd have to go back and look and check and see how extensive his involvement was. Um, but he also was a creative uh, consultant for Babylon Five, and did voices for Babylon Five and Pirates of Dark Water. Um, in October 2017, Peace and Wired dubbed him sci-fi's most controversial figure. Uh, and for here's one of the reasons why. As part of a dispute about fulfillment of a contract, he once sent 213 bricks to a publisher postage due, followed by a dead gopher via fourth-class mail. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest insult ever. You oh. know what? It's weird. Now that you say that, it makes this story make a lot more sense. Oh, right? He, I think he might be the Harley Quinn. He might. Oh, my God. Yeah. It does make you think that a little bit. And, and speaking of, we should get into... I'm just going to give a little behind the scenes of the Harlequin story. Please. Uh, so, uh, it's got a non-linear narrative, with beginning with middle, going to the beginning, and then ending with flashbacks. And uh, it first appeared in the science fiction magazine Galaxy in December 1965. Won the Hugo in 66, the 65 Nebula, and the 2015 Prometheus Hall of Fame Award. The story has been translated into numerous foreign languages and is one of the most reprinted stories in the English language. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Repent Harlequin said the TikTok Man was written in 1965 in a single six-hour session as a submission to a Milford's writing workshop the following day. Holy shit. Right? Like, the, you put yourself under enough stress and you just set out to do something and, like, this is your output. That's crazy. Now, it's, and it's also one of my favorite things about really strangely the kind of work that the science fiction creates, or like that this this atmosphere in science fiction created, where it's like I think we had like with all you zombies, like Heinlein knocked that out in a day, like and it's one of those things like you you gotta get this work out like to get paid, and it's like it, they used to pay, but it's like that's it does it drives the fire, but then at the same time you have these sort of crystallizing stories where you're just like this surpasses whatever purpose you wrote it for. This is just, like, tapping into something amazing. And actually, and it's really weird now that you say that, because it's like, it, this story really does make me feel like, like, definitely someone under pressure wrote it. It does. It has a sort of an anxious fire to it a little bit. Like, it does feel hurried at points. It does sort of feel like the story is whisking past you faster than you can possibly read it at times. Uh, and I guess that is a partial explanation for that. Um, just as a final note, uh, this might be made into a movie soon. Who optioned it? Okay, so, as of 2014, Ellison had granted an option directly to J. Michael Straczynski, writer on Babylon 5. Hmm. Uh, Sense8, the Thor movie, the film adaptation of World War Z, a whole bunch of comic books, on and on and on. Um, and even though it hasn't really been talked about a lot since 2014, IMDb still shows it as being in development. And Straczynski talked about it a little bit, so it sounds like it's still in the pipeline. Um, yeah. And so Ellison had not granted anyone else the option to write this. Man, Ellison had, like, a great relationship with Babylon 5, didn't he? It like, sounds like he did. <laughs> like, the amount of involvement that he had in Babylon 5, uh, 
Well, here's what it led to. Um, he only allowed the option after, and that's even with their involvement together on Babylon 5. Mm. Straczynski delivered a finished screenplay to him personally. He would not oh. let him option the thing until he wrote a full screenplay. That's brilliant. I wish I wish more writers would do that. I mean, wow. You can't really do that anymore, but like, no, you that's can't. kind of awesome. So Peter Jackson and Guillermo del Toro have been approached to direct. So double head explosion. Oh my god. <laughs> So I mean that's I think that's a pretty good introduction to uh, the story. So you want to get into the summary? I would love to. Yeah. Um, Great. So uh, our title is "Repent Harlequin," said the TikTok man, and it's it's a very interesting story. It's I can kind of get why Ellison like likes to think of himself more as a speculative fiction writer as opposed to a science fiction writer because it starts off in sort of this just city. And it's, like, futuristic. Everything runs on time. Like, basically, your your life is reckoned in the hours that you owe and spend. So you have to uh, be on time because when you're late, you cause other people to be late. And they will actually dock time from your life. So it's almost like Repo Man a little, where it's like... It's it, very much like Repo Man. Yeah, no, it's like either, you know, you use your time constructively or you give it up. Like right. this deal. So basically, society becomes this very well oiled machine. Enter the Harlequin. Everyone, by the way, there are only two characters in this story for real. Um, Three, maybe, with Alice, but we don't know who she really is. Exactly. And it's like, it's really. So, anyways, um, the Harlequin shows up and it's. He's sort of this archetypal clown. He, he dresses all crazy, he goes out and does crazy things, tries to make people laugh, and is mostly just inconvenient at people. Um, but we find out in the beginning of the story that he's kind of, like, a legend. He was, like, the first one to, like, take a stand in this society where, like, your, your time can be reclaimed from you. And, you know, and so, and, so yeah, uh, it's about this guy, the Harlequin. And the way that he fucked up... So the Harlequin decides that he is going to protest the society by taking a bunch of jelly beans and throwing them, like, into the sidewalks. Because I guess they're, like, automated sidewalks, so it's like people are just going about their day. Transport gets ruined because he decides to chuck in a bunch of jelly beans, and it causes... Can, can a, we just say specifically a $150,000 yes. worth of jelly beans? And no, and they counted it. They did. <laughs> no, and it's like someone had to count what this harlot, like what this clown did. He just threw all these fucking things. He gummed up the works. He caused everything to slow to a halt for seven minutes. Like, and that, like, sort of ran on. It so compounds. He, like, everybody ends up having to do extra work because of that seven minutes. Exactly. Everybody who is seven minutes late has been thrown off in this really crazy system. And it's like, as a result, the, the powers that be begin paying attention to the Harlequin. And the greatest of the powers that be is a masked man who sits in, an, in a government agency office and... His, he is called the TikTok Man. <laughs> Pretty sinister. And he is sort of described as being very, like, beyond... Like, he, he almost kind of sounds like a supervillain. In fact, there's a lot of aspects of the story that seems like superhero supervillain. You do not call him the TikTok Man to his face. You whisper that in hushed tones behind his back. No, exactly. And he's also... Yeah, it's, I love that bit. And he's also the one that decides to take your life. Like, if you've if you have wasted so much time... 
in so much of everyone else's time, he actually will decide if your if your time has come, if you if you finally spent all your time. So he's the sort of like extra step in this like really fucked up society. Right. The mach- the machine now at this point mostly runs itself, but when it runs off the rails, he's what mm-hmm. is sent in to fix that. Exactly. And he is like, bring me this, bring me this dude. So the Harlequin gets brought in, looking ridiculous, being funny. And so the Harlequin gets brought in, and he's just like, repent, Harlequin. You know, said the TikTok man. It's an actual line from the story. It is, it is a quote. And the Harlequin's just like, eh, no, probably not. He, har- he already knew what was going to happen, and he's like, either kill me or don't. Yeah. And so uh, he, you know, he gets sent back. It was it. He does get sent back out, right? Or he does. does it... He does get sent back out after what they do to him. Yeah. Um, but no, there's like between the the Harlequin being uh, interrogated by the TikTok man, you also have like these really interesting interlace bits where it'll be like sort of this flow of sentence, this like really weird. Uh, stream of consciousness where like the world around you is described and who's running late and who's on time oh it's great it, you really get a sense of like the human element even though it's very quickly run through of just like how people's lives are affected by being on time and how being off of time affects mm-hmm. them as well yeah and it's a uh, it also shows you like the the harlequin at home it, he's got a wife named alice and it's they have a very taut relationship because, you know, he's in this world of order, he is an agent of chaos. So, like, he comes and goes whenever he can. Going to work for him means doing something crazy and weird just to try to make people smile in this horrible place. Right. And and he's just like, I love that he's reflecting on that. He's like, yeah, I'm an agent of chaos, but, like, why do I always say I'm going to be home on time to my girlfriend? I never am. Yeah. I'm never going to be. No, I love that bit where he's just like, oh, I'll be back at 1030. And she's like, why do you say that? Why do you <laughs> say, you're never back at 1030. And then he's, like, leaving and he's like... Why do I say that? Right? Like, can you imagine <laughs> being stuck with this dude? Like, on the one hand, he's doing great things for society. On the other hand, uh, just, I imagine the way she said it is just like, stop saying that. I hate it. I hate it. No, and it's, I think it's one of the things about the Harlequin that's very interesting to me is that sort of like, he, he, like, he knows what to say or like, he knows what mask to put on, as it were. Like, in a world where everyone is faceless, he wears a mask, and that makes him different. Like, in the beginning, he's marked by it. And, uh, you know, The Fool has been, like, a thing in literature that... You, you're reading my mind, man. I've, yeah. The Fool is exactly where I was going to. No, exactly. It's like, The Fool is The fool is the man with the, the painted face in every, like, Shakespeare play or random fantasy who gets to, like, stand in front of power, the king... And just, like, you know, be, like, incisive and funny at it, but, like, funny in a way that fucking tears it down. Right. It's, and was the only person allowed to do that. Exactly. The the only form of subversion allowed in a lot of cultures was the clown. And as a result, in literature, the clown or the harlequin has gotten to do a lot of really cool stuff. Right. And, like, it's really easy reading this story, even with the little details that were given, to imagine how long this has been going on and running smoothly before... A harlequin just naturally needed to happen to balance the whole thing out. 
It was. A, I love how often the Matrix comes up when we talk, but it's like it is kind of Matrix. <laughs> I e boy. Your, your really order is. is so oppressive that you created the one. <laughs> yeah, but the one is a clown who throws jelly beans instead of interrupting the agents and, and their flow in <laughs> the Matrix. Yeah, it definitely has a very similar vibe to it. Like maybe minus some of the like grim and gritty '90s hacker movie, early 2000s sort of thing, but like. It's it's a very similar dystopian future, if not for the fact that it's not a hologram. Yeah. No, so, uh, anyways, he goes out, he, um, it was, it was so fucking amazing. How was it that he got caught? Right. I, if, there was a, God damn it. It's just that they try so hard to catch him. They work really hard, there's, like, all these different passages where, uh, the TikTok man is talking to his henchmen, and he's describing how, like, they have pieces of evidence about him, but it's not, it's meaningless compared to the real man. Like, like you said, he's mm-hmm. very much a super villain. And they do remark about how he's just a man. That's how we caught him. Because, like, you know, he's just some dude. Yeah. No, and I, I love that. That's And we're going to do it when we get into quotes, but that's an amazing bit. Um, but anyways, uh, he's, he's in their custody. He... It gets laid on him just how much time he owes, like how much time he's cost of himself and everyone else. Right. And it is, it is insane. Yeah, is, he's. What is it? Uh... You have been late a total of sixty-three years, five months, three weeks, two days, twelve hours, forty-one minutes, fifty-nine seconds, point oh three six one one microseconds. <laughs> Yeah. That is, like... And I like to think that he's, like, 27. Like, and he's already been late, like, just for just 36 years. I I mean, and, you know, I almost get the sense, though, that as much as the TikTok man is, um... He's being accurate about that, I think he might also be fudging some of those numbers by, like, taking into account how much time he's wasted, how much he's pissed off everybody. Exactly. And it's... And it's fun, too, because, like, the the Harlequin doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck at all. No, he's 69. just, like... No, he's, he's just, like, whatever. And finally the TikTok man's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, then do it. Do it. Go ahead. Like, and the TikTok man won't kill him. Oh, no, that killing him would be too good. No, he's like, I'm going... You are going to sing the company line. I am going to reform you, re-educate you into... A good person like you will be in you will be a punctual person from now on so the harlequin gets sent away and eventually he gets released and he seems to be towing the party line like he's he's very he's he goes on television and he, he tells everyone what a fool he was and while that's happening the tiktok man starts to glitch yep and pretty great story no, it's uh, it was amazing. I had so much fun with this. I do too, and like, it, it's not really. They don't make a lot of. There's not a lot of details to the background people in the story. Like you said, there's really only two characters, but there's little moments in the story when people are are like, oh, well, see, he recorded a message saying he was crazy. He must have been crazy. But mm-hmm. other people were like. No, no, he wasn't crazy at all, and they kind of get it, mm-hmm. and the seeds are planted, and I love that aspect to it too. I was I was actually talking to Gabe about the Joker in the sky, but that was like you know sort of like that thing on on Batman eighty nine, 
where the Joker shows up and on like he he goes on television to be like, Hey Gotham, I took my makeup off and I'm just telling you that I'm a cool dude who wants to give you money. But the joke of course is he does have makeup on. He has normal makeup <laughs> on. Because underneath he's the fucking Joker. But he could go on TV and he could sell himself. Whichever mask they need to see. Yeah. Whichever mask they need to see him take off. Yeah, and it's like, there's a part of me that like wonders about that in the end. Just like, if that's the Harlequin. I mean, they let him live, I think, because they had to. It, it, it's mentioned before in this that like he had grown to such almost mythic and heroic proportions. That if he had died, he would have died a martyr for a cause that would have probably lost control of yeah so in a lot of ways it's hard to tell whether he you know he recorded what he needed to and licked his wounds to fight another day or whether you know big brother really did win it's hard to say well and actually there's a part of me that wonders where it's like you know does getting confronted with like if if the harlequin in some way like is silent like, he could be regretful of his life the way he is, and he could naturally want to change, too, where it's, like, that whole thing with his wife, where it's, like, I'll be back at 10, 10.30. You always say that. You're never back at 10.30. And he's, like, why do I always say that? Like, I wonder if maybe he was just, like, I could just be on time now, I guess. Like, right, right. Like, sort of giving up a dream. It could be. I. It's hard for me to say, but I think Ellison's voice comes through in the sense that it's like it didn't really matter he did what he was supposed to do and this did interrupt things they can't take back that lost time yeah not yeah no it's not like the uh, pellet on the lost hour up in here <laughs> that's right i just realized that too both of our ellisons are like very time related that is interesting and I... neither of them involve time travel I mean, if you asked me, I would guess that most of the episodes he's involved with in the Twilight Zone revival probably involve time to some mm. degree. It's uh, He does like talking about that. Definitely City of the Edge of Forever. Yes. It's, uh, yeah. Um, no, this is... And it's a thing now that's kind of strange for me that I'm thinking about, just parallels between this and Paladin and the Lost Hour, where... Um, and you remember, I think we were talking, like, the most subversive thing about that story was uh, the characters within it were not just, like, real characters. Like, you felt them being very real, but, like, how obscure they were. Like, right. It's, these it's were... the least people you would expect to be in their positions. Yeah. It's the the paladin of the last hour, but he's, like, a, an old homeless man. And, and his wife, and it's, like, you know, who's a woman that only he remembers now, and, like, now only Billy Canetta remembers. So, like there's this transference that happens of, like, the memories of the small people. Right. And I feel like that's kind of weird in this, because it's... Did this come before or after? This is 65. And... I don't know. Paladin of the Lost Hour was 86. So, yes. So this was first. But it's... So, interesting. So it might be a kind of evolution, but it's like... Um, the thing that I thought was interesting about this is the Harlequin is just, like... And the TikTok man, because he wears a mask, these are roles that you can inhabit. Yes, yes. I love this. And, like, definitely for science fiction short story writers, the idea of people sort of being able to be slotted into these roles, but also mm -hmm. just have come from being a normal person roots. Some yeah. of my favorite running themes. No, it's, and it's really weird because it's like, there's parts, I, I really like this too, because it's like, even though these characters are like archetypes. Like, there are two men behind these masks that are supposed to be playing this cosmic truth. But there are times in my life where I, like, I look at the Harlequin and I get it. Like, there's this one line where it was, like, you know, he was on his way out to be late. Where it's, like, I 
I can't explain quite how, but I've done that. Oh yes, and and you know you know one other great thing I I've definitely identified with is this idea of like doing crazy things that would you know it's not necessarily permanent but it changes things having actually the real ripples in the pool effect be felt by people because of you i'm sure that's Mm. like a normal human drive as well that that's very identifiable in that yeah no and it's it's really interesting through chaos specifically well no and it's it actually kind of works out because it's like i'm i'm the person that believes in this like in a form of balance i think most of us do where it's like you but I definitely err on the side of chaos. I feel like I'm a more chaotic being than most, but it's like, that's why we need ordered people. Right. But I think that that's a thing where it's like, you know, the Harlequin can disrupt the system so hard. Yes. And just, like, just by, like, making you late a minute. But the thing that's funny is, like, like, it's not always the worst thing in the world being late. It's not. I, it, I get it, that it's annoying to some people, but... Right, but, you know, it's funny, like... What about the positive aspects of being late, like um, being fashionably late? Yeah. I know I, I know that that's both used normally and ironically, but, like, it's true. Nobody wants to be the first person to the party. No. You know what I mean? And, like, there's a lot of other examples with time, you know, when you're late and you know you're supposed to be going somewhere, but you see something awesome and you kind of take the second to smell the flowers. Yeah. This society in this story is extremely out of balance. It is. There's no chaos. Everything's pre preordained for the most part. Well, no, and actually, and this is a thing that's like the kind of, and it's weird. I I need to look it up again, but it was a David Foster Wallace, um, speech. I think it may have been an essay that he like would recite, but like, um, it was this interesting take on like being stuck behind someone in the market. And the thing about that is sure. like, like we've all had that moment where it's like, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I am this like I get off. I, like, I work in a bar. I get off work really late at night, and I gotta stop by a store to get something to eat, so I'm in I'm in the back of a very long line <laughs> with one cashier, and I'm like, I just want to buy something to make when I get home. Right. And I'm, like, behind all of these people, and I'm just like, why isn't there another cashier? And I can't believe that this person is buying all this bullshit at, like, one in the morning. 50 coupons like, right now? Are you serious right now that you're doing this with me? You're oh, paying now you, pennies? Now okay. you pull out your Cornstar voucher? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I've been there, and, too. I know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. No, and it's, like, it's weird because David Foster Wallace is, like, yeah, we're just people. Yes. We're just here, man. And it's, like, and it's kind of weird because it's, like, I stopped to think about that now. And it's, like, why do I have such negativity of people who are just trying to get their shit and get out and, and do a job like me? Well, they're not us. Like, you know what I mean? The the natural instinct is, like, to be annoyed by things that personally inconvenience us. Mm-hmm. And I think, in a way, that's kind of how this situation with... This is just speculation. Yeah. But the TikTok man is not something that's existed, it sounds like, this whole time. He's sort of an end of this whole scenario, where they had yeah. to come up with that because society had finally gotten to this point. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that... It's why this might be considered speculative fiction or why he wanted to consider it speculative fiction rather than science fiction because he wanted us to see how close we are to this being a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely not right around the corner, but I think we get closer and closer to sort of feeling safer by everything being told to us by other people, how long our life is going to be, what our prospects are going to be, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. There's an inherent level of comfort to it and the people in this scenario, they got used to that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. everybody who, when you get inconvenienced, it's life-killing. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So everybody is looking out for themselves and making sure that they keep their heads down in this scenario, which is not that hard to see happening from when it was written. Yeah. Well, then there's like, and it's it's weird to me because it's like I do think about this in in a weird way from like another direction too of like a society that has gotten so used to running in this orderly fashion where no one's ever late, where your time is never wasted. Um, but then I also think of some things where it's like the Harlequin is being less like sort of the natural fly in the ointment to this yes. because like one of the things is like have you ever just like stopped walking on a busy street in New York? Sure. Yes. It's that deal where it's like it's you know fascinating experience. Sometimes like sometimes throwing a bunch of jelly beans to stop a lot of fast moving people, like it's like it, it happens, but it's like it's weird that it's like I'm doing it with gel- with with candy. Right. And I mean, you know, it's not hard to see the Harley Quinn as being something of like a uh uh, Tom Green or like you know uh, Jackass or something yeah. like that where the crowd you know the public would be super behind all this they already are I mean we got punked we've got all mm-hmm. kinds of shows like this uh, but he's doing it as sort of like a civil uh, freedom for yeah. people he's trying to free people from this system and and just as a side note because I'll probably forget it later I know we talked about how this is not supposed to be science fiction. This is supposed to be speculative fiction, or we have mm-hmm. our ancestors killed or whatever. But, mm-hmm. like, there's flying cars in this, right? Like, he jumps, he drops the jelly beans from a flying vehicle, doesn't yeah. he? Uh, this is science fiction, just saying, Harlan. R.I.P. But, like, don't, <laughs> please don't haunt at me. Like, this is science fiction. You're dropping jelly beans from a hover machine that I'm guessing sounds like the Jetsons, like, well, I actually, and this is a weird thing that it's it's kind of uh, blowing my mind right now to consider, but, like, if you can take time off of, like, I'm wondering if there's a, a, a science fiction aspect to it where it's, like, a ray gun that takes time off, or they just execute you at a predetermined time. I wondered about this, too. Have we gotten to such a mastery that they literally can control people's time? It's really not completely made clear. It's not. And also, like, that would, and it would kind of be interesting, because then I would ask the secondary question of, what happens if someone took your time? Would you get it back? Is this movie going to have gun kata and, like, bullet time? <laughs> I'm, get, I'm, I'm just wondering, is there going to be justifiable this bullet just time? This just in, it was just sold from the Babylon 5 guy to the Wachowski siblings. Oh, that's a good point. He did write Sense8. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not that far off to say the Wachowskis could be like, wow, we have a real in-universe reason to have bullet time again. Because, like, The Matrix, just talking about science fiction and tropes being used... Everybody else who used bullet time used it wrong. Like, it's maybe a few instances where there's magic or supernatural shit that makes time literally be caught in a moment. But this is one of those stories where I think you could sort of twist that idea a little bit of, like, how much does the TikTok man control time? Yeah. And could he literally stop time in a local area? You know, it's interesting to think about some of the implications. No, and it's like, it's one of those things where, and it's another thing I love about short stories, that they're of sort of perfect length and, like, concept density, that they're, like, tailored for film adaptation. Absolutely, absolutely. Where it's like, I think about Minority Report and how, like, it wasn't that long, and all of the things that they managed to spin it into, into the film. Right. Some of it good, some of it bad, but, like, I see the seeds of, like, a really great film in this story. Oh, yeah, I mean, like... It, going off of what you're talking about, like Minority Report, the story versus the movie. One of the best changes is that it's a pilot program. Mm-hmm. It's only being tested in what DC, right? Isn't that? Yeah. And, and it hadn't been for that long either. I think no, it's five years, ten years. Maybe? And it passed that extra punch too. It's like, well, 
how's how's this for a success rate? We dropped the murder rate to zero in DC. Exactly. It, it, I agree with you completely. Like short stories really leave this great room for the movie to expand on ideas that it doesn't feel like they were just trying to knock out more time to pad it out. Like there's really room to say, well, the core concept are here. Let's make this for a cinematic experience. Yeah. Was it? Do you want to do? Um, start with the epigram, the Thoreau quote. Please. Uh, yes, uh, Henry David Thoreau, Civil Disobedience. Uh, this is actually the beginning of the story. There are always those who ask, what is it all about? For those who need to ask, for those who need points sharply made, who need to know where it's at, this. The mass of men serve the state thus, not as men mainly, but as machines, with their bodies. They are the standing army, and the militia, jailers, constables, posse comitatus, etc., in many cases, there is no free exercise whatever of the judgment or of the moral sense. But they put themselves on a level with wood and earth and stones, and wooden men can perhaps be manufactured that will serve the purposes as well. Such command no more respect than men of straw or a lump of dirt. They have the same sort of worth only as horses and dogs. Yet such as these are even, even are commonly esteemed good citizens. Others, as most legislators, politicians, lawyers, ministers, and office holders, serve the state chiefly with their heads. And as they rarely make any moral distinctions, they are as likely to serve the devil without intending it as God. A very few as heroes, patriots, martyrs, reformers in the great sense, and men, serve the state with their consciences also, and so necessarily resist it for the most part. And they are commonly treated as enemies by it. Perfect quote to set the, team, the the tone for the story. It is a perfect quote, and it's it's one of those things that like uh, I like that it hits um, sort of that like uh, Ciceronian Aristotelian idea of like the tricola just hit you with three of something where it's like look there are three different types of people. Right. There are the people who serve with their bodies, which and become part of the machine, which I think is interesting because uh, like I I feel like that is like a weird. Like, yeah, some people are, like, like William S. Burroughs wrote a book called The Soft Machine, and The Soft Machine is us. Like, yes. The Soft Machine is the human body, and it's, like, sort of the fodder that's already come into use this way. But it's, like, that other people serve the machine with their heads, um, but because the world is amoral, sometimes they just fuck that shit up. And then, lastly, the idea that there are some people out there who serve with their conscience. Right. And, and, and thus we have the introduction of our two characters, the man who is... Uh, putting himself on a level with wood and earth and stones because he's literally controlling time and the man aligned with chaos and breaking those uh, bounds for the betterment and through acting of his mm -hmm. conscience. So it would be an amazing, like, John Hammond, Ian Malcolm, like, dichotomy. Yes! Two, we should get... Uh, wow, the John Hammond... Uh, Dichotomy. Say the whole thing again. Like the the John Hammond Ian Malcolm dichotomy. The John Hammond Ian Malcolm dichotomy. This is an actual thing. I think I, I agree with you. This is definitely like uh, a sort of dynamic that you can almost put into other fictional roles. I can impose order on chaotic systems. 
chaotic systems will always express themselves. <laughs> God, it makes me want to do like a separate TV show just for those two characters where they like discuss modern <laughs> events, but all arguments come down to that same thing and they just move on to the next topic. I feel like that, and it was a thing that I used to love about um, movies where Greek gods were characters yes. because that was very common. You had like scenes where Greek gods were like, if the hero acts this way, then I'm right. And if they <laughs> act this way, then you're right. And then, you know, eventually they'll be like, well, that was kind of a draw. Let's try it again with some other humans. <laughs> but do it bloodier this time. Yeah. More consequences. It's just, yeah, it's just these, these two gods that don't learn and just decide to keep playing humans at each other. Yeah, well, the gods never do learn. I think that's uh, yeah. definitely another theme that kind of is in this as well as it's up to the men because yeah. the elemental forces will always stay, mm-hmm. like, in some sort of balance until man imposes something on it. Yeah. Was it, um, I wanted to read something from a, uh, literary critic, um, named Leo Marx. Uh, he wrote this really cool book called The Machine in the Garden, which is just about the, uh, the advent of technology in early America and what it kind of did to, um, art and land and just, just the, the culture in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, was it, he, uh, he quotes, um, was it, he talks about Thoreau, and it was like, it was a thing, because as soon as we read this story, I immediately remembered, I was like, didn't Thoreau have some really definite opinions about clocks? Yes, he did. And the answer is he did, um, and this is what Leon Marx has to say about uh, Thoreau's fixation on clocks. Uh, quote, the clock, favorite machine of the Enlightenment, is a master machine in Thoreau's model of the capitalist economy. Its function is decisive because it links the industrial apparatus with consciousness. The laboring man becomes the machine in the sense that his life becomes more closely geared to an impersonal and seemingly autonomous system. The advent of power technology is alarming. It is because it occurs within its cultural context. When Thoreau depicts the machine as it functions within the Concord environment, accordingly, it is an instrument of oppression. We do not ride upon the railroad, it rides upon us. Hmm. Yeah, that's... That's exactly what time is represented as in this story. Yeah, and it's like, the, just that idea that, like, you know, and it's, like, I don't want to be, like, one of those, like, hippies, or, we were talking about Trent from Daria earlier, where it's, like, I love that moment where it's, like, he walks into the kitchen, and he's, like, I gotta get to practice at seven, and then Jane's, like, Trent, it's nine, he's, like, <laughs> I better head out then. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and that's why, yeah. like, I I think living in this future would be so frustrating because, like we talked about, there's so many great personal moments that come from being able to be late. Yeah. No, and it's like, sometimes, like, damn it, it takes me as long as it needs to take, like, you know, because it's like, that's one of the things where it's like, the Harlequin is out there because he's the dude who's taking your time. Like, right. And it, that can, and it, what's funny is, like, you know, he may inconvenience you, but he also puts on a mask and tries to make you smile. He's also entertainment. Like, entertainment makes us late. It also gives you jelly beans and, like, gives you an excuse to not have the only thing you do be your job. Right. Like, and it's like, I like that. And I think it's interesting that, like, you know, he starts this quote with Thoreau, who has these very definite opinions on, like, the merging of the, the body into sort of the economic machine and in this one it's like 
literally we become sort of like cogs in this clock that runs right. all the time and the TikTok man's the dude. This like, is a step further from what we were talking about with time connecting the industrial to you know, the man, that kind of thing. It's like that's already happened so far and for so long that at this point, you know, time is almost an extension. You know, that as they said, the time is ticking us. We're not watching the time tick. Exactly. Um, yeah, so... I had a page that? two quote. Did you want to do anything before that? Let me see. There's a little bit of a description about the TikTok man. I have a page one quote. Okay, go for it. Uh, so this is just about... Um, this is just sort of the... Uh, the the lore that begins it where we talk about you know there was a man called the TikTok man yes but a uh, quote that is the heart of it now begin in the middle and later learn the beginning the end will take care of itself but because it was the but because it was the very world but because it was the very world it was the very world they had allowed it to become for months, his activities did not come to the alarmed attention of the ones who kept the machine functioning smoothly. All in caps. All in caps. Uh, the ones who poured the very best butter over the cams and mainsprings of the culture. It's a pretty great quote. Yeah. I, I Every time I read that, it's just like, it sticks out so much. It sets the, the tone almost as much as the, the throw quote does. Mm-hmm. And it's, let me see, what was yours again? What is it about the TikTok man himself? Very much over six feet. I think I go after that, maybe. Okay. Uh, so, the description of the TikTok man, uh, also known as the master timekeeper. The TikTok man, very much over six feet tall, often silent, a soft purring man when things went time-wise. The TikTok man... Even in the cubicles of the hierarchy, where fear was generated, seldom suffered, he was called the TikTok man. But no one called him that to his mask. You don't call a man a hated name. Not when that man behind his mask is capable of revoking the minutes, the hours, the days and nights, the years of your life. He was called the master timekeeper to his mask. It was safer that way. Dude. Yeah, so we got set up for the supervillain right there. Like... He does. He controls every single second and every aspect of your life. You do not piss this dude off. No, it's uh, that kind of reminds me of... I, I can't remember the characters from Neil Gaiman's uh, Neverwhere, but it was the, the two dudes who were, like, the badass ones. And I think it said in the book that the uh, they, they called them by the names that they called each other because no one dared call them anything else. Exactly. It's like, how do you know he's... I can't remember what it is, but it's like Mr. Andrews. It's like, because the other guy calls him Mr. Andrews, and I won't call him anything. <laughs> I'm too afraid to. Um... But no, that's like, that's also, I love that it's as long as everything went time's way. As long as everything went time's way, but when it didn't, in the cubicles of the hierarchy, fear was generated. Like, this is a fucking... This is a toxic work environment. This this is is definitely a toxic work environment. Toxic work environment. Like, I'm sure the benefits are pretty great, but like, you cannot fuck up a single thing. You are basically a robot in this building. Yeah. No, yeah, as long as you... Are where you need to be. Which, at any given point, uh, the master timekeeper knows exactly what that should be. Yeah. So, like, I can't even imagine the job pressure for this kind of place. 
I mean, working in any job in this place must be awful, but specifically working for the TikTok man, it's got to be... Oh, dude. Drains your soul. Worst fear boner ever. It's like, I used to work for Goldman Sachs, and I would rather. (laughs) (laughs) The good old days of Goldman Sachs. But then, because it was the very world it was, and they had no way to predict he would happen possibly of strain or disease long defunct, now, suddenly, reborn in a system where immunity had been forgotten, had lapsed, he had been allowed to become too real. Now he had form and substance. He had become a personality, something they had fitted out of the system, something they had filtered out of the system many decades ago. But there it was, and there he was, a very definitely imposing personality. In certain circles, middle class circles, it was thought disgust it was thought disgusting. Vulgar ostentation, anarchistic, shameful. And others, there was only sniggering. Those strata were thought its subject were those strata were thought its subject to the form of ritual niceties proprieties, but down below, ah, down below, where the people always need their saints and sinners, their bread and circuses, their heroes and villains, he was considered a Boulevard, a Napoleon, a Robin Hood, a Dick Bong, Ace of Aces, <laughs> a Jesus, a Jimmo Ken- Kenyatta, and. At the top where, like socially-minded shipwreck Kellys, even tremor and vibration threatens to dislodge the wealthy, power, and entitled from their flagpoles. Flagpole sheet? Oh, no. Sorry. Tremor and vibration... Who is it? Like socially attuned shipwreck Kellys, even tremor and vibration threatens to dislodge the wealthy, powerful, entitled from their flagpoles. He was considered a menace, a heretic, a rebel, a disgrace, a peril. He was known down the line to the very heart-meat core, but, import- but the important reactions were high above and far below. At the very top, at the very bottom. So his file was turned over, along with his time card and his cardio plate to the official, to the office of the TikTok man. But, um, no, like, I love this description of the Harlequin, because it's just, like, and also just this description of, like, you know, when people, like, die, or, like, people, like, try to, like, affect society around them, they don't know, like, really if anything happens of it, and I think that's one thing that we've started to realize, is, like, the two places where power matters the most is at the very bottom and the very top. And the very top. And those are the two people that the Harlequin, like, really, like, resonates with. Right. He resonates with the the people on the bottom who have no options and would do anything to see this future society changed, and the people at the top who couldn't possibly have a single thing changed because it would threaten their entire way of life. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like this quote, too, and, like, um, on top of all of that, there's just, like, you, you get a real sense of how he's gone beyond you know, being this dude who's late to coming home every night mm. and has turned into, you know, like a Joker or V for Vendetta or, you know, just like the Matrix quotes, we, mm. we the Matrix we were talking about before, the same thing. He's he's what happens when society doesn't adjust itself often enough and starts to become, you know, they, they mm. sort of let this thing happen again to yeah. themselves. Which I think is interesting because it's like, I think it sort of creates this thing that like, I feel like human beings essentially are just a lot of people don't want to admit it because it sounds kind of scary. Is like we're a little hive mindy, yeah. but like this whole sort of notion that like 
you know, and it's like, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to consider uh, an entire population to be sort of part of the same organism, but to be all part of the same clock, like, that's the unnatural thing. But I think in the story when he, uh, like, when the story describes him as sort of like this aberration, like, the system had gone on so long that it just couldn't but create this man, and so it gave him shape and form. Right. So, like, the idea that, like, sort of, you're not even really an individual, like, yeah. you know, you're a product of society, like... Right, even even as they consider him a threat to society, he considers himself a savior to it, they're all just what bubbles out of that machinery coming to its logical conclusion. Yeah. Which, like, I don't think that, and it's the thing that's weird, because it's like, I read this twice, just trying to figure it out, like, like, which is it, Harlan? Like, are we, are we individuals, or are we, like, cogs in a machine? And it's like, I, I do think the answer is both. Both! Definitely like, both. Just, we're definitely, we shouldn't be a clock. Right. <laughs> no, we definitely shouldn't be a clock, we definitely shouldn't trap each individual moment under glass. Uh, I, de- I definitely think that this is a warning against all of that, but at the same time, Maybe not so much the TikTok man, but the Harlequin is depicted as being a real person outside of, like, these sort of duties. I don't know what his real job was, necessarily, or yeah. anything like that. Like, what's his alter ego? Who's his Bruce Wayne? Well, no, and I would love to say, because it's, um... Do I have that quote? I'm going to read that later. I'm not, so I'm going to just say it now. No, like, the, uh, the jelly beans. Like, you know, one might want to say that he used to work at a jelly bean factory... Although the authorities can't figure out how he got that many jelly beans or from where. Right? I To me, the little details they don't explain in this, like, leaves so much more room for, like, craziness. Just, what is really going on in this place? No, it reminds me more and more of, like, the Batman Joker, where it's like, he'll just do that. He'll just, like, he'll throw you a joke that's only funny to him. Right. I, the, the question is not, how was he able to get $150,000 worth of jelly beans? <laughs> It's more what he used those for. You, the fact that he did it is why you're questioning how he was able to do it. That's the whole point. No, there's like, and it's really weird because it's like I can see this sort of get ironed out in the Paladin of the Lost Hour with like uh, Gaspar and the Cupcake Cakes type of deal, where it's like I'm going to like the world is like tough, and I'm gonna be there for you with like a little something that makes you smile. Yeah. Um, the earlier version of that is the Harlequin, where it's like. Not, it, this is a horrible future because not only are you penalized for being late constantly, but you can throw $150,000 worth of jelly beans and you and you don't know where they came from because your society has long since stopped making candy. <laughs> right? Like, that's like, the implications of that is just, like, there's nowhere you can get jelly beans. How did he get this many jelly beans? Jelly beans are outlawed. And he's like, fuck you, I'm going to fucking clog your sidewalk gears with jelly beans. Like, fucking... <laughs> Johnny Appleseed or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, Johnny Jelly Beans. And it's kind of great, because it's like, you know, it, it is like the, you know, I'm going to destroy society treats. Like, I, I would argue that it is, it is both, for whether we're part of that machine or whether we're individuals, because, like, like what you said, he kind of had to do this. You know what I mean? He's compelled through his conscience to do this, and there's almost a higher power working behind both of them. Now, and I also love that it's like, and this character, like, as the Harlequin, it's like, you know, also commonly known as the Fool, also acts sort of like the Fool archetype for, like, sort of our society, where it would just be like, you know, he's a dude who, like, has trouble with his wife, 
like, he has trouble keeping appointments and getting his shit together. He's never serious when he should be. Right. Like, and as a result, you know, he owes 37 years of his life, and, like, he's wanted by some very scary people, but he just doesn't care. He can't fucking stop. No, he can't stop at all. Like, and it's like, there's a part of that where it's like, that, you know, that kind of fool behavior. Like, where it's like, a lot of people don't feel it. He's the fool for our sins. Yeah. It's also kind of a Jesus archetype as well. Oh, that is true. I mean, you know, to some extent it's not because he survives in the end. Well, I mean, you know, we don't really know how much of him, but mm-hmm. but but he is definitely doing this for all of us, not for himself. And it's definitely not... He's willing to take the consequences, but it's definitely not benefiting him, other right. than laughter. Which maybe, like, that kind of says that this is a necessity to him. They do say it's the best medicine. They do say it's the best medicine. I prefer drugs. <laughs> what do you have as your next one? Um, is it also one, Pete? Actually, the next one I have is on page seven. Okay, I have a couple on page three. Okay, go for it. Okay. Um, somewhere nearby, the Harlequin could hear the metronomic left-right-left of the 2.47 p.m. shift entering the Timken roller bearing plant in their sneakers. A minute later, precisely, he heard the softer right-left-right of the 5 a.m. formation going home. An elfish grin spread across his tanned features and his dimples appeared for a moment. Then, scratching at his thatch of auburn hair, he shrugged within his motley, as though girding himself for what came next and threw the joystick forward and bent into the wind as the airboat dropped. He skimmed over a a slide walk, purposely dropping a few feet to crease the tassels of the ladies of fashion, and inserting thumbs in large ears, stuck out his tongue, rolled his eyes, and went, Wugga, wugga, wugga! (laughs) It was a minor diversion. One pedestrian skittered and tumbled, sending parcels every which way. Another wet herself. A third keeled over slantwise, and the walk was stopped automatically by the servitors till she could be resuscitated. (laughs) It was a minor diversion. Then he swirled away on a vagrant breeze and was gone. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Hi-ho and wugga-wugga-wugga, the catchphrases of the Harlequin. I love that shit. Yeah. (laughs) Wugga-wugga-dub-dub. Wugga-wugga-dub-dub. Um... Was it? I also love that those are like those reactions to comedy where it's. And there actually was a part of me that's like, when I read that bit, where it's like, and sent a woman with parcels over. So it's like, oh, you made her late, like a little bit. You know, that's the minor diversion. But it's like one of those things where it's like, one of them stops to laugh, the other one actually gets knocked out of place. Right. And it's like, I love it too because it's like he starts that passage with the description of the steps of one crowd coming and the steps of the other crowd going and how they're like, weirdly synchronized like I feel like yours in a clock it's creepy yeah and then he just comes along and it's like let me just fucking throw a little disorder in here yeah I like to pull the grenade I like to pull the pin and throw the grenade into the crowd and mm-hmm. that's what he loves to do yep um just continuing on to some of his stuff uh once more in anticipation the elfin grin spread and there was a tooth missing back there on the left side he dipped, skimmed, and swooped over them, and then, scrunching about on the airboat, he released the holding pins that fastened shut the ends of the homemade pouring troughs that kept his cargo from dumping prematurely. And as he pulled the trough pins, the airboat slid over the factory workers, and $150,000 worth of jelly beans cascaded down <laughs> on the express trip. Yes! Um, 
The shift was delayed seven minutes. They did not get home for seven minutes. The master schedule was thrown off by seven minutes. Quotas were delayed by inoperative slidewalks for seven minutes. He had tapped the first domino in the line, and one after another, like chick, 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 the others had fallen. The system had been seven minutes worth of disrupted. It was a tiny matter, one hardly worthy of note. But in a society where the single driving force was order and unity and promptness and clock-like precision and attention to the clock, reverence of the gods of the passage of time, it was a disaster of major importance. I love that so much. And I think that <laughs> the bit where it's like, it actually, it kind of unsettles me how like scary it is a little bit, but like just that, oh, it's hardly worth mentioning, except it was obsessively mentioned multiple times in like the three sentences before where it's like, the system was delayed seven minutes. <laughs> I know, I love minutes. it. It's so seven frantic. Minutes. Yeah. You don't get it. You don't get it. It was seven minutes worth of disrupted. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a, uh, when they say something like, uh, what was it? It was a, um, some kind of delay. Uh, it was a minor diversion. I don't hear them saying it was a minor diversion the way we would say it was a minor diversion. You're saying this with klaxons going off. You're like, it's a minor diversion. Do you not get how fucking crazy seven minutes in all directions in this society is? People die because of him doing this, and he's got to know that to some degree. He's got to know that people's careers are permanently ruined through just inserting seven minutes of delay. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's the only thing that he can do at this point to make any sort of difference in any of these people's lives. Yeah. Uh, The domino's falling over. Oh, that, yeah, no, just the, the literal domino effect that he creates. I have more, um, just continuing the quote. Yeah. Jelly, for God's sake. Beans. This is madness. Where did he get the money to buy $150,000 worth of jelly beans? They knew it would have cost that much because they had a team of situation analysts pulled off another assignment and rushed to the slidewalk scene to sweep up and count the candies and produce (laughs) findings, which disrupted their schedules and threw the entire branch at least a day behind. Jelly beans. Jelly beans? Now, wait a second, second. Accounted for. No one has manufactured jelly beans for over a hundred years. Where did he get jelly beans? That's another good question. More than likely, it will never be answered to your complete satisfaction. <laughs> but then, how many questions are? <laughs> no, I love that where it's like, and where did he get all these jelly beans? I will not be able to provide you with the satisfactory answer. <laughs> He's like, talking directly to us. Yeah. Uh, Which I love that just whenever a writer is just like, just ease up on me, dude. I'm just trying trying to tell you a story. He dropped 150,000 jelly beans on people. What do you want me to say? Don't ask me where he got it, dude. He's crazy. Which I also love that idea where it's like, he is someone who is essentially so disordered, but like, like sort of this weird flip side of the TikTok man who has all of the resources at his disposal and he just uses them all wrong. But the dude who like keeps giving him the slip until the very end is a dude who's, like, who just, his, he's also resourceful, where it's like, how the fuck do you get that many jelly beans? He's like, I don't know, I just ended up in a place of jelly beans. I'm, I'm where I'm not supposed to be all the time. Yeah, how does he do this? He, he's on an air skiff, and he has a homemade pouring trough that keeps his cargo from dumping prematurely. Like, 
how did he set all of this up? This is, and still he's late all the time. Here's why he's late all the time. He's he's crafting master plans to disrupt society. He's almost like Wile E. Coyote. He's, he's a, like everything's the Acme bomb. Yeah. So he was ordered to appear before the TikTok man. It was broadcast across every channel of the communications web. He was ordered to be there at 7, damn it, on time. And they waited, and they waited, but he didn't show up until almost 10.30, at which time he merely sang a little song about Moonlight in a, in a place no one had ever heard of, called Vermont, and vanished again. But they had, but they had all been waiting since 7, and it, wrecked, and it wrecked hell with their schedules. So the question remained, who is the Harlequin? Uh, oh my god. I can't, I love that so much. You were to be here at 7 o'clock, damn it. And I love it, it's just in the time. You were to be here at 7 o'clock, damn it. He shows up at 10.30. He was late! He's saying about Moonlight in a someplace no one's ever heard of called Vermont. And then he, and, and then a rectile with their day. And who the hell is he? <laughs> Everyone's going crazy. He's kind of like, I love it because he's like, he first had to show up to talk to the TikTok man and just like, he broke them. Like, he's just like, I'm not sensical. <laughs> I can't wait for this to be a movie. And, like, maybe one thing we could talk about later is who we would cast as the Harlequin in the TikTok, man. Oh, God, yes. We gotta do that. Um, I have a quote just about uh, kind of, like, what society is like and what has sort of led to all of this and what the Master Timekeeper can actually do that makes him such a threat. Mm-hmm. And so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes, 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 tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. And one day, we no longer let time serve us. We serve time, and we are slaves of the schedule, worshippers of the sun's passing, bound into a life predicated on restrictions, because the system will not function if we don't keep that schedule tight. Six, oh, page six. Until it becomes more effective than a minor inconvenience to be late, it becomes a sin, than a crime than a crime punishable by this. Effective 15th of July, 2389, 12 midnight. The office of the Master Timekeeper will require all citizens to submit their time cards and cardio plates for processing. In accordance with Statute 5557SGH999, governing, governing the revocation of time per capita, all cardio plates will be keyed to the individual holder and what they had done was devise a method of curtailing the amount of life a person could have. If he was 10 minutes late, he lost 10 minutes of his life. An hour was proportionally worth more revocation. If someone was consistently tardy, he might find himself on a Sunday night receiving a communique from the master timekeeper that his time had run out, and he would be turned off at high noon on Monday. Please straighten your affairs, sir. And so by this simple scientific expedient, Utilizing a scientific process held dearly secret by the TikTok man's office, the system was maintained. It was the only expedient thing to do. It was, after all, patriotic. The schedules had to be met. After all, there was a war on. Only, wasn't there always? <laughs> wow. Right? Like, there's the origin story of this society. No, and it's like, it, it's one of those things where, like, I love science fiction so much because, like, it is the place where we can try and, like, work out some of the stuff that, like, really fucks with us. But it's like, I'm not going to lie to you, this is the thing that fucks with me daily. It's just, and it's like, I know that there's not anyone out there who will just be like, you know, I'm going to take a half hour of your life. But it's like, 
so much of my life is just wasted trying to pay for shit. Right? I... The economy sucks right now. Like, we work way more hours for way less money. That's just a thing. It's something we're very, very aware of, especially with people having multiple jobs and, you know, like, not being paid a living wage. I think we're all very aware of how much our time is worth and how much it isn't at this point. Now, is it like those awkward weeks where uh, you find out that, you know, you just don't have a lot of money? Right. Um, but, like, was it when it's, like, just, the, it remind, it like, it resonated with me, the whole idea. is like, it might be Friday night, and you're going to get a call from the time keeper that says you have been turned off. You've been like, turned off. God damn it. I need to live. I've got shit to do. Please get your affairs in order, sir. <laughs> that is so fucked up. You have to, they politely tell you that if you don't get your affairs in order, you're going to be fucking up the shit of the system even more. Well, no, I love that what they say, too, where it's, like, um... Was it like in empowering the time the the timekeeper was expedient? I was like, oh, that's disturbing use of that word. And patriotic. And patriotic. Thank you, Harlan Ellison, for making those two normal words somewhat. I mean, patriotic was kind of scary, anyways. But. Yeah, uh, but you're right. There's a lot of elements where they're talking about time in the story, and it gets this sinister edge just by having set the the tone of like what time really means, weaponized in this story. Yeah. Um, the next thing I have is on page eight. I got one on page seven. Um, yeah, so this is after we get like a look at the Harlequin and his, uh, his, his life, like his home life. Mm -hmm. Um, he's got a wife named Alice who, I mean, things are rough for them because her husband's a clown. Yep. And she just has to deal with that. She just has to deal with the fact that her husband is this agent of chaos. <laughs> right, like, it's not a big deal to her, though. Like, yeah. It's not like she's Harle... Well, I was going to say Harley <laughs> Quinn from, from the Joker, but, like, yeah. it's literally like, she married this dude, and he's like, by the way, you married uh, me for both my... The good times and the bad times, and uh, also I'm a clown cage, uh, chaos agent, you yeah. know? And she's just like, ah, uh, what did I marry into? No, serious, and it's it's great, but um, this is I love this bit because it's like, it this also was a little real for me, uh, but the Harlequin stalked out, slamming the door, which side which side side shut softly and locked itself. Alright, first of all, I love that you could he slammed the door, which closed lightly. And it's so ineffectual. You're just like, it is. you don't even let me have this small statement of anger because life is so orderly and like, you know peaceful yeah um yeah uh, there was a gentle knock and alice got up with an exhalation of exasperated breath and opened the door he stood there i'll be back at ten thirty. okay she pulled a rueful face why do you tell me that why you know you'll be late you know it you're always late so why do you tell me these dumb things she closed the door on the other side the harlequin nodded to himself she's right She's always right. I'll be late. I'm always late. Why do I tell her these dumb things? He shrugged again and went off to be late once more. <laughs> Hashtag marriage goals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, she. It's a, it's a rueful face that she makes at him. She knows he's going to keep doing this, but also she's like, why do you tell me this every time? No, it's like, I, like, I love that shit too, where it's like, I've gotten... I've like I've accepted my the chaos of my life. Right. And it's just like I'm like, look, I'm aiming for this time. 
I never tell people, like, when exactly I'm going to be somewhere, because I don't quite know when. Right. But that's, like, a thing about it that I find hilarious, where it's, like, he they had just had an argument. He didn't have to say anything. He left. He... <laughs> He, he tries, didn't have to say anything. He tries to slam the door, but it just lightly closes. So he knocks on the, his own door, and his wife opens it, and he's like, I'll be back at 10.30. And she's just like, why? Like, <laughs> It's almost spiteful. You could have left without lying. Like, you could have just... I, 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 you're not... Just, you could have just walked away. Why? 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 <laughs> and I, I love that. His reaction to is, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you think he is actually a clown? That's his regular job? I think so. I think, because it says he, it says under his motley. So, like, that's what they would call, like, right. the things that came out. So it's like, yeah, I, I picture in my life, or, like, in my mind, like, a guy just going around dressed like a jester. Yeah, it's, it, God, of course they would never think to just check with a clown. Nobody would be stupid enough to have their superhero alter ego <laughs> also be their day job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make us money, Alice. You've cost us $150,000 in gummy... In, 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 in jelly beans. Jelly beans. Um, yeah, that's the other question I have about this. Like, is he some sort of, like, sexy escort clown? Because if he's going to be back by 10.30 and lie about that, like, what sort of clowning is he doing past 7 o'clock at night? Like, I really want to know. I do, too. But I don't think we'll ever be found out to our satisfaction. Uh, Alright, uh, I have my next one's page 9. How about you? You got Niani? Yes, I do. Um, this is sort of like his manifesto to the public at large. Why? Uh, this is his, his V on TV speech. Exactly. Why let them order you about? Why let them tell you to hurry and scurry like ants or maggots? Take your time. Saunter a while. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the breeze. Let life carry you at your own pace. Don't be slaves of time. It's a hell of a way to die. Slowly, by degrees, down with the TikTok man. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 it's, a, it's a small quote, but I really wanted to include it because, like, this is what I'm talking about of he will inspire other people to pick up his mantle. Well, no, and it's actually kind of insidious because it's like, I'm, like, there's a little, I think there's like a little nod to Shakespeare in there. Well, no, it was a, it's a hell of a way to die, slowly, by degrees. By degrees, yes. And there's there's a line that Iago has in Othello where he's like, what wound did ever heal but by degrees? Yep. Like, so it's like this kind of a little thing where it's like, you're kind of... Wink, 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 wink. Little, little chaos agent right now. Which, <laughs> I mean, it's totally overt. And I like I love that, too, where it's like, like, I always... Those were always the places where I was the least happy working, where it was like the people who would point to a clock and just be like, you're late. And it's like... It is it is five minutes right after I'm, even seven minutes was like come on like calm yeah down. I will never like and that's the thing where it's like I've I've left so many jobs where it's like you know and it's like I'm not like perpetually late but it's like if you are like so anal that I need to like that I can't be late five minutes then your job is like really ridiculous right there's got to be a little bit of breathing room yeah like and it's one of those things where it's like and I love that too where it's like I'm. I'm not going to lie to you, uh, it's, it's not, I'm not always held up. Right. Like, I like to saunter, I'll take my time. Yes. I want to make sure I have everything before I leave the house, like, and it's like, yeah, sometimes I need a minute. And sometimes you need to go back. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think you're on the last quote, my quote is part of your last quote, I'm assuming. I think so, too. So, um, this is... Yes. This is where we get, um... Not only, this is where we get the title drop for the story, but this is also 
how they caught the TikTok man. Yes. Or no, I'm sorry. This is how they caught the Harlequin. This is how they caught the Harlequin. They used dogs. They used probes. They used cardio plate cutoffs. They used te- they used teepers. They used bribery. They used stidikites. I guess. They used stidikites. They used intimidation. They used torment. They used torture. They used finks. They used cops. They used search and Caesar. They used Phaleron. They used betterment incentive. They used fingerprints. They used Bertillion. They used cunning. They used guile. They used treachery. They used Raoul Mitgong. But, they, but he didn't help much. And they used applied physics. They used techniques of criminology. And what the hell? They caught him. <laughs> After all, his name was Everett C. Marm. And he wasn't much to begin with, except a man who had no sense of time. Uh, Everett C. Marm. He was the just... most Bruce. Uh... <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's your alter ego. Okay. Uh, no, it's... Uh, yeah. They had to use all of that shit to find him, and they finally just found him, because he's just some dude. Well, no, and it's also, like, interesting to me, because it's, like, that's it, it also reminds me of the scene where it's, like, the Harlequin can reap such chaos because people have, like, no sense of appropriate measure in this universe, where right. it's, like, we had to pull an entire team of regulars off their day to count jelly beans on the side <laughs> of the road. And it's, like, you didn't think that that was beneath you? That that wasn't worth your time? Right. And that, like... Paying these people to do this right. is ridiculous, and that there's better way. Like you're blaming him for wasting seven minutes when you've just wasted all of these people's time. Right. And it's like with this, yeah, they used everything, and I love how extensive this list is. It reminds me of like uh, Gaspar when he just yes. lists all the things he's responsible for. Right. Like this is this is what's so great. Everyone is so used to ne- never having to do conflict resolution that like they honestly don't have the imagination or the experience to do what should be obvious to just catch this dude. So like uh, I'm not even sure some of these things that he lists are real. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty sure some of these things are not. I have real. no idea what a Falron is. I don't know what every fifth it's... word is and I think that's on purpose. I think this is a list joke. Well no, and it's funny to me too cuz it's like in the middle they'll use things that are like very real. It's like they use search and seizure. They it's do like, use search and seizure. Oh, we're familiar with that here. They I, used I, applied physics? I love that they were they used a guy named Raul McGong. <laughs> Who was Raul McGong? But he didn't help much. It was like, okay, first of all, <laughs> what did he do? What like, did he help with? What did what like what, the much is the the thing that fucks with me in that but then also like yeah who is he like, right like they're talking to the tiktok man and they're like we use this and this and this and he's like well did you check with raul mitgong and they're like Shit. of course why don't we check with raul mitgong and it's like <laughs> and they did and it's like and and what the hell they caught him after all he was a man and it's like and that just blows my mind because it's like i'm sorry that's so many things to use. We used torture. We used terror. Guile. Bri- <laughs> bribery. Everything. And, and it's like, it just to catch that dude, you worked too hard. You played yourself. And I feel like that's kind of the joke. He's making them prove their point. Yeah, the, yeah he's like, he's, I feel like the Harlequin is just like, you know, then fucking kill me or stop talking to me because I'm bored with this shit. If you can't handle a dude that's two hours late for a hearing and, like, drops a bunch of jelly beans on people, then you're not the society you're making yourself out to be. I love that moment we were talking about earlier where it was like he fucked them all up by being a half hour early. Ah, that was great, too. (laughs) Well, they assumed he would be late. It's like, and I've also been that guy. (laughs) 
Like, I've been the one that's there first, and I'm like, how am I the one here first? One time I'm early. Uh, so, uh, this is, so this is the end of that bit. He's taken before the TikTok man. Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Get stopped, the Harlequin, the Harlequin replied, sneering. You've been late a total of 36 years, 5 months, 3 weeks, 2 days, 12 hours, 41 minutes, 59 seconds, point oh three six one 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 microseconds. <laughs> You've used up everything you can and more. I'm going to turn you off. Scare someone else. I'd rather be dead than live in a dumb world with a boogeyman like you. <laughs> it's my job. You're full of it. You're a tyrant. You have no right to order people around and kill them if they show up late. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so good. So good. I can't wait for this to be made into a movie. This is going to be so great. I can't either. I'm having so much fun reading it. I know. Just it's allowed. pretty delightful. It's just the way that it's written. You have to do it in a voice. Right? You have to do it in the voice of the TikTok man and the Harley Quinn. Yeah. Like, oh, get stuffed. <laughs> get stuffed. <laughs> Screw you. And it's like, I love that it's just all clipped and it's quick response. Like, it is. It's very, it's very dialogue-like. It's very real dialogue. No, and I love that too, where it's like, I feel like it goes along with just the institutionalization that the Harlequin rails against, but like, I love this thing where it's like, you know, I, I'm sick of, if, if the alternative is dying, do it, I don't want to live in a world with a guy like you, and he just he's like, it's my job, and it's, it's like, my job. it's not your job, you're a tyrant, and I love that, because it's like, there's some people where it's like, it's just my job, it's like, no, you're being a dick right now, like, you're aware. <laughs> You have no right to order people around and kill them if they show up late. Yeah. Yep. No, he, they don't. Like, everyone's gotten used to that, but, like, he is a tyrant, and he kills people. That's the beginning and end of it. Mm-hmm. Pretty great. Yeah. You want to do recommended readings? Uh, uh, yeah, so that's the, uh, that's Repent Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Said the TikTok man. Uh, do you want to do, um, inspired and related reading? I'd love to. Uh, do you mind if I go first? Please. Uh, I'm going to start with the graphic novel and movie of V for Vendetta mm. for its overlapping themes with, uh, TikTok. Um, you know, we've already talked about it a little bit before. Yeah. Well, no, and it's actually, that super fits too, because, like, with V's whole, like, I'm behind this mask, there's an idea. Right, Exactly. It, but it's like, yeah, after after the, the Harlequin is sort of taken out of commission, like, there other glitches in the system start to show up because other people are picking up his example. So it's like, it it never really was a person. Like, I mean, it was a person named Evan. Yeah, it, it, Everett definitely, Everett C. Marm definitely was just a dude. But yeah, no, it's like, that kind of reminds me of the end of V for Vendetta where, like, all of London starts putting on the V masks. But yeah, that was exactly the same feeling I sort of got, was like what you said, it, he's bigger, the idea of him is bigger at this point than the actual man, and like even after he repented, everybody knows that what he stood for was real. And yeah. most people know that he was being forced through 1984 methods to say what they wanted him to say. Exactly. Um, uh, as to recommendations from the author, uh, let me start since we're talking about graphic novels, with the 
graphic novel for City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, it's uh, graphically illustrated, and it's based on his intended original script, which if you're an Allison fan and you kind of heard what he said before, I think it was really important to him that people read his original ideas for things, not necessarily what they got adapted to. He was infamous for being for holding grudges on people either stealing his intellectual property or mismanaging adapting it, which is mm -hmm. especially interesting for why he only finally allowed uh, Straczynski to option it, because he, he argued long and hard with Star Trek, and he specifically blamed Roddenberry for what he said was, was mistakes with what he wrote. I still think it's a fantastic episode, but like, I definitely recommend reading his intended original script in this format. Mm -hmm. No, and it's I, I totally agree with you, and I'm I'm actually very interested in those stories because it's like, don't get me wrong, I do really like Gene Roddenberry. I think he was like revolutionary in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. I think he was incredibly close-minded other ways. Big Rod, yeah, he definitely had his shortcomings, um, and you know I I think if you read this and then you watch the episode, that's a really cool way to see kind of what his beef was with people managing his his work. The art in it's fantastic, too. It, it's really good. Um, the other graphic novel I'd recommend is uh, Batman 66, The Lost Episode. Um, basically, the Adam West 1966 Batman. There were a bunch of episodes written by other people besides Ellison that were just considered too adult for them to make into the show. And I think as the show wore on... Um, it got harder and harder to do anything adult in it, so most of it just became very kid-like. They sort of lost the hard edge that kind of was in the beginning. Um, just to give me an example of how hard-edged he wanted this to be, Clint Eastwood was supposed to play Harvey Two-Face in his script. Oh, that would have been so good. It would have been incredible. I would have loved that casting. Yep. Uh, aside from being a really good adaptation, DC included Ellison's original pitch, The Two-Way Crimes of Two-Face. Uh, in the graphic novel, along with notes and revisions. So, one other fun thing you can do if you want to do a side-by-side, -side, um, you know, graphic novel of City and the Edge of Forever in the actual episode. You can also do graphic novel Batman 66, The Lost Episode, and watch the uh, the animated movie Batman vs. Two-Face, where they got Adam West in his last role before he passed away to play Batman one more time. And, uh -huh. yeah, it's, it's really sweet. And, um... William Shatner actually ended up playing Two-Face instead of Clint Eastwood, which is a... Uh, considering the yeah. two of their cred and that they never met with each other in real life, uh, I think it's really cool to kind of hear them face off verbally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so between those two things, uh, just to, to be clear, the animated movie does not use the original uh, concept script or the original pitch idea. It's just an origin story of Two-Face... Uh, as it would have been done, but animated. But if you watch the two together, there's... If you read and watch, there's a lot of similarities between the two. They clearly were paying uh, respect to Ellison's script concept ideas, even if they didn't necessarily execute them in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, the video game I mentioned before of... Uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Oh, yeah. Very, very fun. Which we might actually do, like, because I won't... I kind of... We've we should been, watch the, the watch through. Yeah, we want to do the watch through and like do like sort of a like a mini sode. Or actually, we should do just a full episode where we like yeah. where we do the story and the video game. 
just to give you a taste of what that is. There, there's definitely enough. We did that with Minority Report, and it would be kind of interesting to do it with something that's not a movie. Right. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I would say there's enough story in here to actually be almost considered a movie. Um, there's five different characters. In the short story, they're not really given a lot of detail. And in the video game, Allison expanded on all of their origins and did some pretty crazy stuff considering the, what video games were being made at the time. Uh, so the characters are a suicidal loner, a mutilated brute, a hysterical phobic, a secret sadist, and a cynical paranoid. And one of those characters is an ex-Nazi. So uh, it's definitely going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my recommendations. Those are good ones. Yeah. Was it, um, I totally have to, like, uh, jump on your Batman with that, too, because it's, like, when I read this, the the first thing that came to mind was The Killing Joke yes. by Alan Moore, and mainly because I feel like it's, I feel like it's definitely, like, this story, but, like, sort of way darker. Oh, yeah. And it's a, and I love that, too, where it's, like, it's a thing that, that comes up in the Ellison story, where, like, the TikTok man and the Harlequin, I feel like, are both aberrations of the system. Sort of, like, they're exact opposites that sort of need to be, but, like... You could almost argue Batman is the TikTok man in many ways. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, if uh, if Batman were just, like, a terrifying, like, overpresence, um, he would be the TikTok man. Yes. And it's... He's... And he meets his opposite in, you know, the trickster. The, the, the dark ca- harlequin? The dark harlequin, the chaos being, you know, versus order. And it's the, you know, the unstoppable force, the immovable object. Yes. But then you also have this thing where it's like, I love in the killing joke because it goes back into the Joker's past. Um, air quotes, because it's like, because you're getting this from the Joker, you really don't know how much you can trust it. And the Joker even says in that text, like... Right. You know, some days I remember the past one way, sometimes right. I remember another. I prefer the past when it's multiple choice. It's a beautiful metatextual um, sort of encapsulation of its own idea because Alan Moore liked to um, unite origin stories. You know, he and a lot of other comic writers who did sort of the revisionist comic book take, they loved the idea of reconciling all origin stories and saying that they all could have happened because it's your imagination anyway. Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of him being like, Joker is such an embodiment of chaos that even the way he remembers his own origin story is completely unreliable. Exactly. No, and he's, yeah, he's just that way. Like, And uh, was it? I, I feel like there's one bit in particular that really harkens to this, Like, and I feel like Alan Moore definitely read this. Uh, when he wrote that, because there's a lot of scenes of the Joker before he's the Joker. Right. And he's just a struggling comedian who no one thinks is funny, and he's got this wife who's pregnant, like, and he's gotta, he's gotta provide for the family, but it's, like, this thing where, like, the whole, well, are you gonna go out and get a real job? Like, you know, which is, like, we have that scene with the Harlequin where it's, like, I am picturing him in just, like, full clown garb, and his wife's just like, you're gonna go out again, aren't you? You're just gonna go (laughs) clown it up. He's like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of have to. <laughs> I kind of, it's my thing. And, you know, with you know, with the killing joke, it ends up with the Joker becoming the ultimate chaos being in a horrific way, as where I feel like in the Harlequin becomes liberatory. Right. And and by the way, sorry to horn in on your mm-hmm. recommendations, That's but um, the killing joke is semi-being adapted into its own movie 
with a different Joker than um, the one from Suicide Squad. Not Jared Leto. Yes. I'm kind of okay with that. It's a Martin Scorsese film, and they're going to have it be set in the 80s before Joker becomes a Joker. He's a comedian, and um, Joaquin Phoenix is playing the Joker. Oh my god, I want to see this so much, and I would I would only pitch one thing to whoever's casting this, and it's for Barbara Gordon. Get Barb from Stranger Things. Yes! <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Perfect I want casting. fucking justice for Barb. We could put her on another justice for Barb another shirt. Another justice for Barb shirt. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and you show Joker in the tourist shirt that says Justice for Barb. Oh my god, no, it'd be amazing. I want to turn that I want to turn that actress into like our next Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Like I want her to die in everything and I want us to love her for it. Like um, Hollywood get at us. You know, is it she's like she needs to join the illustrious ranks of him and Sean Bean. Like she needs to be a screen death person. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm going to start this petition. <laughs> Marty, listen to us. <laughs> He's a great, he's a friend of the show. Friend of the show, Marty. <laughs> Marty. He likes us to call him Marty. Um, was it? I got a couple more recommendations. Yeah. I'm going to sort of lump these two together because they're both Philip K. Dick related. Yes. Um, but definitely, I feel like, and we've talked about this, where it's like, uh, this bears a great deal of resemblance to Minority Report. Yes. And if you get a chance, you should go back and listen to our Check minority. out our other episode, for sure, on Minority Report. We did. I had so much fun. We had so much fun doing that episode on Minority Report. Yes. Yeah. It was great. Can I just say, maybe we'll read it in the cottage. No, not the cottage. <laughs> that woman drowned by the cottage. By the cottage. <laughs> was it, uh, and in addition to that, yeah. I actually, I haven't read this story, but like, um, after I read um, Repent Harlequin, I was like, this, like, what's that Philip, there's, I feel like there's a, a movie that reminds me of this, and it was, it was The Adjustment Bureau, if you've seen, which, like, that's right, it's, like, an okay flick, but, like, the plot's very similar, um, it is, yeah, it's, like, there's, there are these people who, uh, live in this very, um, like, we go about our lives, but the thing is, we're unaware that we're all acting in part of a master plan, and there are these people called The Adjustment Bureau who are there to make sure we get to where we're supposed to be on time, until these two people fall in love and make their own plan that's completely outside of what the Adjustment Bureau has in mind for the world. Yes. So there's this deal where it's like, you know, personal freedom versus cog in the machine. And, you know, can't can't the machine react organically to the organic matter that makes up the machine? Right. And it shouldn't have surprised me at all, but it's a Philip, it's based on a Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, that makes sense. And now I really want to read it, because I know he doesn't have a lot of, like, good luck with adaptations. No. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Philip K. Dick story where I'm like, that's totally the thing in the book. I Maybe one. Maybe one. Like, um, what was the one with the police cop who did the drug? Oh, yeah. No, actually, that's probably the most faithful adaptation. The one. A, the a, one faithful adaptation. A Scanner Darkly. That was a Richard, Scanner Darkly, yes. Richard Linklater film. It God. was so good. Yeah, the perfect person to put on that, by the way. Yeah, Keanu Reeves fucking killed it. Oh, yes. God, I love that movie. But uh, you're making me... I'm going to have to read the story as well now, because, like, I am interested to see based on... I've seen a lot of other Philip K. Dick, quote-unquote, adaptation movies. It'd be interesting to see the differences. No, I also loved, like... we Maybe we should do an Adjustment Bureau one, because it was... I had a lot of fun with the Minority Report one, because, like, I hadn't read Minority Report right. before we did it, so... I'd seen the movie, and then I was stunned when I read the the story because I'm like, this is completely different. We okay, so we got to do that for sure. 
So yeah, uh, those two, and uh, my last recommend is actually a Hitchcock film. Nice. So, which, you know, I didn't know this, that he wrote uh, for the Alfred Hitchcock hour. That's right. So that just makes this a little bit more poignant and Even wonderful better. to me. But he did this, uh, Hitchcock did this one film called The 39 Steps, and it was like way early in his career. This is before he left England to make films in Hollywood. So there's, I think there's a good four or five films that like, are just only British actors because he shot them in Pinewood Studios. Right. And, uh, and then he moved out of here. But um, this movie is great because it's uh, it takes place sort of just before the Allies get into the Second World War, and you know there's there's spying in it. Like there's this guy who shows up at this uh, at this like circus type deal it's sort of like a sideshow there's mm-hmm. a man called Mr. Memory and he shows up and Mr. Memory he's re- remembers everything that he's read and you can just ask him any question and he'll answer you and uh, Mr. Memory is sort of like up there doing his thing and this guy who's like just in town like you know from Canada he meets this woman who is like a, a rush or she's a, a German spy yes and kind of for the good guys it's alluded to but um he invites her back to her place she ends up getting murdered and he gets framed for her murder but before she dies she reveals the people who are doing this are called the 39 steps right and so as a result our hero has to go on the run in like fashion of uh all hitchcock movies where he has to pretend to be different people to get in and out of different situations and prove his innocence so it's all about putting on masks. It's all right. about pretending to be someone you're not to like get the appropriate response. And there's this one scene where like he he just sort of rolls with the punches after he escapes from the police. He's like hiding his handcuffs like in his shirt, and he gets picked up by these people who are like, "Oh, are you the person who's here to speak?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." And he goes in and delivers this like stirring political rally, literally about nothing. And like everyone's super into it. They're gonna vote for the party. Like, but. Um, you know, it reminds me of the TikTok man and the Harlequin a great deal because, like, I feel like these stories are about taking on and putting off identities right. and, like, at the end when everyone decides they're going to be a little late. And it sounds like the organization, the 39 Steps, is similar to the people at the top who make things run, the people who pour the butter mm-hmm. on the cogs yeah. in uh, Harlequin. No, exactly. And it's, like, the, the one thing that ends it all in both of them is, like, is the one person who stands up and speaks... Uh, and it's sort of like weird because they deliver this rupture in sort of the form of a speech because like you know the the Harlequin when he's released he delivers a speech about oh I'm a good boy now I'm reformed right and then the TikTok man breaks right like he can't really keep time anymore and everyone else is like not keeping it anymore so there's that and at the end of the 39 steps like the only thing that he can do to really to, to catch the people involved is he ends up back in London and he asks Mr. Memory what the 39 steps are. And as soon as it becomes public knowledge on stage, like, he gets shot and the thing ends. Of course. Like, but it's like, I love that moment of like, hey man, just tell the world what it's about. Like, be defiant. I'm gonna have to check this movie out. It's a lot of fun. I love Hitchcock movies. But... As do I. And, and before I forget... Is that all your recommendations? That is. Uh, was it the last one, I guess, would be like The Machine in the Garden by yes. Leo Marx. Uh, quote from earlier, great book. But yeah, that's, uh, that's it for me. Do you want to do casting call? I would love to do casting call. Okay. So they haven't said who the actors are going to be for TikTok uh, and Harley Quinn, but 
we could come up with some of our own. Um, for the TikTok man, I kind of wanted uh, Michael. Is it Michael Shannon? Who's in? Um, yeah, from the Fahrenheit 451. Yes, yes. I think he and would he was be perfect. Zod, right? Yes, he was a. I think he would be perfect for the TikTok man. Um, I was having a little trouble coming up with who should be the Harley Quinn. Um, somebody with maybe some manic energy, somebody who could almost pull off like a Jim Carrey kind of esque performance, but mm-hmm. with a little bit of seriousness, like I guess modern J- Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's kind of hard because whoever plays the Harlequin would have to be good at slapstick. And in the same way that Hugo Weaving had to wear the mask the whole movie, you would mm-hmm. want a large portion of this movie to have the Harlequin be in full clown makeup. Absolutely, yeah. I kind of thought maybe Matt Smith might be interesting. Um, Matt Smith would be really good. I think he could definitely do Or David Tennant, if we're talking about Doctor <laughs> Who actors. I think either of them could probably pull that off. And I think David Tennant could also be the TikTok man if we're really... If we're trying to push him in any role. No, honestly, David Tennant could play either. And it's like... It, and it's one of those things that's kind of weird, but uh, there was this production I'd heard of for uh, Richard II where, like, the actors who played the, the characters would go out on stage and flip a coin, and whoever won the coin toss would have to play Richard and the other person would play the person who destroys Richard. Yes. So it's like this, I like the idea of sort of like an interchangeability, but like, like I, I love the idea of like, you know, I would love it if the TikTok man and the Harlequin were somehow the same person. God, oh man, if you, if you show them most of the movie, both in their masks, uh, that would be a real neat reveal. I don't know how you would do it, but. It would be hard, but man, it would be good. Yep. Who did you have in mind? Anybody interesting? So, I have, like, this really weird picture in my head of it being, like, just sort of, like, a, a comedy, like a balls-out comedy. Sure. Um, so, I kind of like the idea of, like, the TikTok man being someone who, like, presents, like, a great manic energy, and uh, I want to see Lisa Kudrow do it. Because yes! Lisa Kudrow has been able to, like, in every movie that's not, like, she's great as Phoebe, but in... Uh, like the opposite of sex or her part in easy a where she's just like just a stressed out person yes and she's like very angry and very repressed and it's like i see that in the tiktok man oh i i i love this choice um i especially like i mean let's think outside the box a little bit why does the tiktok man have to be a man right yeah which would make it and no one's gonna call it call her that to her face right so it kind of adds an extra dimension of it's like that's the TikTok man. But we can say <laughs> that because she doesn't know we call her that. Okay. I, I'm definitely going to say I'm voting for you on this one. I, I really like that. So, was it? That's that's my idea for uh, the TikTok man. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Harlequin, uh, I want I want Jermaine from Flight of the Conquest. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> like, how is he going to do any of those action scenes? But yes. Because, <laughs> like, I would love just to, to, to see a scene of him just, like, fighting with his wife and showing up early or late. Like, he's got... He can definitely do buffoonery and yes. he can oh, do yes. intent. Um, and also now there's going to have to be a musical number in this movie. If yeah. Jermaine is there, there's going to have to be a they musical They've got to do the music. He, he's got to... Okay. This is amazing. He does come in and sing a song about the moonlight in Vermont. He does. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, anybody here who's friends with, uh, Straczynski? <laughs> yeah. oh my god, Del please. Toro, please tell them this pitch. Lisa Kudrow, okay, get them all on the phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling them all right now. I love it. Okay, perfect, we got our casting, and we should consider this a future, uh, segment. 
as well for other stories. No, I'm, I would really love to do that. And it's like, then obviously there's going to be some stuff we cover in the future that already has casting. Right. Which I think for our Watchmen episode is going to be fun because I kind of want to be like, okay, but who else could we have got? Well, right. Watchmen is going to be very interesting um, in HBO. I know they've hired some people, but they haven't really said anybody who's going to be the quote-unquote major characters yet. Mm-hmm. So I think we could still get that. Yeah. So, if you like our ideas, you should totally give us jobs. Yes! As, uh, on your production. If not, you can take the idea. Because, you know, we just want good stories out there. Ultimately, I would love good stories to be out there. I want good stories. I want Lisa Kudrow and Jemaine to get paychecks. And I don't think they'll disappoint you. So, yeah, if you want to take... I know that Ellison already approved Straczynski's script. But, like, if you could just add in some musical numbers, hire Jermaine and Lisa Kudrow, uh, I think you're going to be all set. I think so, too. Well, is that a... Shall we end our episode? Let's do it. All right. And Uh, be commencing. Thank you very much for listening to uh, Greetings from the Mirror Zone. I have been Bryce Skidmore. Wooga, wooga, wooga. And I've been David Leskin. Hi-ho! (laughs) Hi-ho! See you soon. Bye.